0: Do not bring this one to the Arkham. His thermal aura is... disturbing. Does the cold
1: displease you, machine? Would you truly deny a winter's kiss?
0: The metaphorical jest is most bemusing. State your business, Bonefather. I was summoned by the northern wind. It seems I am meant to come to you. Hmm. Perhaps Hodir is playing another cruel joke. Very well, Lich. Right this way. Welcome to live from Olduwar, a World of Warcraft community roleplay podcast hosted by myself. My name is Kitch Goldwad, but today I am joined by a very special friend of mine, Amundal, Bonefather Amundal. Say hello. Hello. So today, uh, as you heard, Amundal is is a is a undead lich who is joining us today to talk about numerous things, from uh, you know uh, undead roleplay to his character, Bonefather Amundal. And so much more. We've got a great little bullet list of topics to talk about here. Uh, And of course, I want to start off, you know, Amy, we've had quite an exciting past, haven't we? (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah, very exciting. We're we're very active in each other's lives, I think.
0: I think so, too, because I think when we met, it was, uh, for me, I think we met in either early 2018 or late 2017. I can't quite remember. I fondly remember. Uh,
1: I think it was late 2017.
0: Yeah, because the first event that you attended on Amundal, I do remember that very vividly. Um, and it was quite quite a fun time. So I do remember that. <laughs> um, and we both met in um, kind of in a guild that I've aforementioned on the show before, the Isle of Wintervane, which we both kind of kept a hold of uh, mm. throughout the years. So, uh, I guess to, to start off, tell us a little bit about Bonefather Amundal and kind of how he has evolved into like the Wintervein story, uh, who he mm-hmm. is, just all that kind of stuff.
1: So I guess, uh, the best place to start with, uh, I'm probably just going to refer to him as Amy for the rest of this just yeah. because, um, I'm allowed to, you know, not have that level of respect,
0: I guess. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: <laughs> so, um... As I remember, our original hook for him joining was that he was rediscovered on the Isle of Winterbane. He was locked away in a crypt by uh, one of the opposing liches. Uh, in fact, the opposing lich to the current island storyline, Xenorak. Uh,
0: yeah, and uh, with through kind of like the storyline, uh, Amundal kind of appears as this, you know... Uh, kind of a mysterious figure who's also holding a great deal of power um and his origins were very much kind of like a mystery for a very long time so it's been really fun discovering all of the you know the details that go into what makes amy amy Uh, so how long have you been how long have you been role-playing amy because i don't actually think i've asked you like candidly how long you've Mm -hmm. been rping him but i can just infer that it's been quite a long time
1: uh, I think it's been about six, six or seven years. About as long as I've had my World of Warcraft account. Oh, wow. Uh, Amy was actually my second ever World of Warcraft character. Okay. Yeah. So was
0: he? Was he a Death Knight when you first rolled him?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He. So uh, the original idea was uh, necromancer with Death Knight, uh, and I just had bags full of clothes this was before transmog even existed uh so i just had bags of clothes i threw on him and one day patches just like added transmog it's like oh okay well i don't need that anymore
0: yeah and so you went from necromancer did it start Mm -hmm. from necromancer and then evolve into like candidly a lich and if so kind of how did you make that decision
1: so uh, when he started, he was just a necromancer that I was kind of toying around with ideas on. And from there, I kind of came with a few ideas on, well, what, what, what's like the ultimate goal of a necromancer at the end of the day? You either are doing it to um, revere death with undeath, or you're doing it to try and obtain immortality which I think is what most of the Scourge necromancers were trying to do, if I remember correctly. Uh, This should be taken with a grain of salt. It's been like seven years since I made that decision. So for his thing, this was actually back when Amy was in a different guild. I don't even remember the name of. And he just didn't get a lot of action there. I just wasn't really feeling... I just didn't feel like I was in the place to make that kind of story yet. So I spent time tinkering with his backstory a bit and changing him around and giving him a proper backstory, um, which we ended up fleshing out during Wintervein, actually. Props to the three people who actually know his original uh, starting place. <laughs> yeah. Of which you are one. I'm truly, truly honored. <laughs> Mal, actually, from Wintervane, turned out to be another person went back and found it uh mal said that he went back and scoured the Wintervane uh <laughs> discord and managed to find some of the old amy stories and i mean
0: the the depth that uh amy has is is truly immense uh i i feel like um even today i we're always discovering things about this character mm-hmm. and I feel like it's always so interesting from the perspective of someone who doesn't roleplay an undead character. It's been really great to kind of discover how you roleplay undead and how you stay faithful to the lore in some places, adapt in other places, and create this beautiful kind of undead society that has its own cultures, its own backgrounds. Mm-hmm. It's been really quite deep not even exaggerating
1: oh well that's really kindly thank you i appreciate of course. that
0: and so you've been role-playing the undead for a very long time obviously um would you say that there's something above everything else that you enjoy the most about role-playing an undead character
1: i think the thing that i enjoy by far the most with undeath is that a lot of people uh, tend to look at it as you, when you return from death there's always a loss of something, right? Yeah. You, you don't come back the same way. And I think that that's not a not, not inherently a bad thing. It's kind of like, um, I like to look at it kind of like how an immigrant would come to a new country. You, you've, you've lost a lot of what you normally had earlier in life, but you're also starting over fresh. And it's kind of like a chance to reform yourself or become the you that you wanted to be. So Amy, for example didn't really have a lot of power in normal life. It wasn't until Amy ascended uh, through lichdom that he achieved a lot of the power that he wanted. And he's content to let his past die, let his old life die. And it, it makes it really interesting and fun for writing him as a character uh, because there's always going to be more to Amy than I could ever write. He's kind of one of these difficult characters in that way that he's kind of this ancient mastermind who's always, like, five or six steps ahead of everything else. Yeah. For someone who wants to explore his past with a character that doesn't want the past explored, it always makes trying to get that lore out in snippets or in unique ways... And I find that really fun. And I think just about any undead character could actually do that. You can integrate your past in any way that you see fit. You could have a character that doesn't care about their past or a character who's incredibly connected to their past, maybe even still visits their relative.
0: Yeah. and um, one, one of the most poetic things that I've heard you say about undeath that I think is just great is you've described undeath as being the most free that a character can be. And I think that the way that you just described it, it has so many different connotations of what free can mean. And, you know, for Amy, obviously, you know, they've garnered this great amount of power. Um, Do you think that they're a character who sees themselves as free?
1: I think that uh, some recent events have kind of brought Amy to a place where he doesn't feel shackled to anything. He has a lot of interpersonal relationships with different individuals but i think that a lot of other liches would perhaps see those as shackles but i think with amy uh he's always been kind of a family man at heart and he sees that more as like a way to express this freedom uh because the scourge is long and far fallen apart here uh he's not bound to ice crown anymore and so what he's decided to do with that now entire freedom that he has never. Really had before. It's just that he's just decided he's going to take care of his uh, quote unquote children and he's he couldn't be happier.
0: Right. And you know, I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but I, I simply do think that, you know, Terramah and the undead of Terramah are so very important to Amundal's story. So maybe hopscotching a few topics, <laughs> I did want to mention uh, that Amundal, kind of in relation to the Isle of Wintervane, uh, through I, I mean, the past like three, four years, mm. um, so much development. Amy now has a place on, you know, our roleplay island that is entirely dedicated to the undead um, and to curating his family. Uh, and of course atop that you know undead tower that they've made from the Serenite scraps of what you just mentioned prior the the former lich lord of wintervane they've created sanctuary and atop it is terramah yes. the the dread necropolis um so kind of go into terramah because i i mean i swear you are always creating new things about terramah that are <laughs> i mean it is it's it's immense it's such a massive construct and i love how you keep track of everything so kind of just tell us about it
1: yeah, sure. Um, I really like Terramaw because at a name, it's this really oppressive, kind of scary sounding place. But my my biggest idea from Terramaw from the start was that it was kind of like it was kind of like the garbage bin of the Scourge. Where I mean, you've got all of these undead who will go out in battle and be in war and whatever it is that they're doing, fighting Tuscar or something. And then what happens to the ones that don't function or are atypical in how they do their tasks? What happens to a ghoul that gets run over by a meat wagon and can't use its legs anymore? The Scourge is very, I would say, practical with how they kind of use their minions. So you don't just take away the magic you've already infused with that. It's got to have a task or do something. You could go and send it off to be fodder, sure, but I like to imagine that Amy was able to negotiate taking these individuals that wouldn't have as much purpose otherwise and giving them new purpose for the Scourge. So, for example, a a Mute Banshee was one of our characters early on who we don't use anymore just because she had a story cap that I liked. So she isn't able to scream or sing or do her possession. So what she did instead was sign, and she became an interpreter.
0: Yeah, and you have all these different rooms inside of Terramah that each serve a very specific purpose. I know uh, we've plenty joked about the flesh pits. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. and you <laughs> The know, carnal pits, all the... yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and... I I mean, I truly think that's a lot of where the charm of Terramah lies, Mm. is all of these spaces where these, you know, atypical undead have found purpose. So I guess give us like a, a, I don't know what you would call it, a little tour, a tour of Terramah, if there ever were such a thing. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the spaces within.
1: Yeah, so in canon, there are 999 rooms of Terramah. Uh, in actuality, I have probably only fleshed out like 12.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: And some of them are empty rooms because Maw from its conception, has always been made to have more rooms so that it can always stay open. It can always have more people come in. Um, but so I think one of the first ones, and this doesn't really get shown a lot in roleplay, the first room that you enter is a pitch black corridor that goes... From the front serenite gate all the way to the very first kind of major room, but it's a room in of itself. it's pitch dark, it's very kind of what you assume a crypt would be or a necropolis would be. so it's spooky, it's damp, it doesn't smell very good. And then as soon as you reach the um, I guess it's the exit of kind of like a gatehouse and open that door. the first thing you see then, So the second room is a massive garden uh, and is a garden of death in, I think, not a way that you would imagine it. It's actually a mire and a mire that's filled to the brim with lilies and lotuses and just really beautiful flowers. And I kind of like the idea that that is kind of your first impression uh, because the, the gatehouse it's only there for dramatic effect. That is <laughs> right, that is right. the canon reason it was created by the architect. It's there to scare away solicitors. Yeah, yeah. The the human paladins coming to see if we are interested in uh in, in light sermons. <laughs> um, and then so the first room would be the big garden, which is in my mind I always see it kind of as this really pretty place. It's got one cobblestone path that leads just in a straight line. Uh, And then you'll see like geists hopping from lily pad to lily pad to take care of all of, you know, the flowers or make sure that everything's going all right. Uh, And then the next one that you would go through, uh, because it kind of branches off a little bit. So every room has like three or four entrances and exits. But if we're just going straight, it would take you maybe through the kitchen, depending on the day, because the rooms can shift
0: yeah
1: um, so the kitchen is where obviously all of the cooking happens, and cooking doesn't really have a purpose for the undead, but it's part of the identities of several undead miss ma famously uh, renowned 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 undead Miss ma the rena- yes, uh, her name is actually molly, so m a w l l y yeah, <laughs> the culinary arts aren't exactly lost on the undead, in my mind. They just don't have much of a practical purpose. But cooking is a form of self-expression, and thus it's validated through, you know, whatever actions the undead wish to take with it. For some, like Miss Ma, she really likes baking bread with Amora, uh, who is another character. The only living character in Terra Ma proper is uh, this little goat girl. That Amy just adopted one day because she just was lost. She gets a lot of practical use. The undead, not so much. But for some of the Death Knights, there's, you know, reasons to eat. It's kind of a ritual for some. And Death Knights can eat. A lot of the foods I see that Death Knights tend to eat, especially in, like, the starting zone for Death Knights, back from Wrath, they would eat, like, mushrooms in that. Uh, So there's a lot of mushroom-based cooking. Mm -hmm. I don't want to call it vegan because that's probably not exactly what it is, <laughs> but it's it's probably closer to vegan or vegetarianism than not. Of course, there are, you know, some some ghouls in that that I'm sure love meat and just will roll around in it and eat it all day.
0: Yeah, I remember one of my favorite examples of kind of like the cooking of Tarama was we had an event in Wintervane where the, I think it was the people of the farming town of Alglen They had just been sieged by this dark druidic army or whatever. And and we had, you know, a food kitchen. We had a a soup kitchen, food kitchen, kind of a thing. And we set it up in kind of a... A line, <laughs> and you know, of course, you have like soup made by Pandaren, and you know, drinks made by you know some people, and then at the very end, <laughs> you, you you had <laughs> you had Miss Ma who had what what did what did Miss Ma bring? Was it bread or
1: cookies? It was it was bread, yeah. It was <laughs> yeah, and it was it was amazing. There were not many people coming to take the bread. <laughs> right, everyone was. I think they had bad memories from Lordaeron. I know or something. it's like hmm,
0: a scourge offering us bread this could this could only this could only go right this could only go right
1: it's so sickly sweet wow what an amazing grain
0: why are my insides tingling? This is so fun.
1: Oh, boy. My teeth just fell uh, <laughs> out. That's weird. But this bread's good. Probably it's too sweet.
0: And it was it was a really interesting display of how, even though the Undead of Terramom mean absolutely no ill upon the people of Wintervane, you know, as themselves, how there's just this cultural divide between a society that has been so ravaged by the undead and then a society that's trying to invite them back in. And that, I think, has been a really interesting obstacle for not just uh, Amundal, but for all of the characters on Wintervane. And uh, I have to give it to Amundal. He's quite patient. <laughs> he's, he's quite patient.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. He he wasn't always that way, if you remember. Yeah. He became more patient after uh, kind of getting bonked by Ice Crown. He used to be a little bit more full of himself, a little bit more litchy. But after spending some time in Ice Crown away from his family, um, he was just kind of like, you know what, I'm just, whatever. I, I don't want to be away from my kids. So the event that kind of kicked that off was uh, it was a battle with Zenerak actually. And as these two liches are duking it out, there are mortals coming in uh, to the scene. And they're like your typical human male knight paladin guys which no ill against them i have a human male knight paladin but they were just being like huge jerks and and then amy just like whisked his hand towards them and just killed like 50 guys uh just to be like nah no and then that kind of info got out and he was recalled back to ice crown to get bonked and he was there for about a good like 6 or 8 months. And then when he came back with a bit more like of kind of that Ice Crown influence on him.
0: Amy had to go to Ice Crown anger management therapy.
1: He did. He did a little he had to go cool off.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, him him disintegrating 50 people because <laughs> because Amy is quite a powerful character and it is a very very interesting dynamic between the character that I play, Tarkanis, who is frankly just a himbo night elf ranger uh, with yeah, very right, very poor political skills. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and then you, you have this ultra powerful lich lord who lives on a very fair portion of the island and their kind of relationship is so interesting. And what I want to highlight in that is the fact that in RP between not just, you know, my character and Amy, but between Amy and everyone else, you really handle Amundal's power very, very well, and with a lot of consent and a lot of tact. So kind of tell us about role-playing a powerful character, either how you started out doing this, how you learned to do it, just how you learned to integrate that kind of role-play with other people.
1: I wish I could say that I learned. I just tried to use some common sense for some of it, and then other things were me kind of looking back on past role plays that I had had and thinking on what's one way that I could do something. I, I, I kind of have this feeling whenever I bring out Amy where I'm like, all right, well, I have to make sure that I'm not making this event about me unless I created it specifically for that purpose. Right. So I have to think about how he kind of works with stuff and how other things would work with him. That we've had events where some pretty important stuff has happened, but Amy can't really be there because he just solved it. Yeah. Which kind of goes against his character sometimes, uh, because Amy is kind of like a hands-off guy sometimes. He doesn't, like, come in to solve your problems for you. He doesn't give more than his fair share when you're a lich that's still considerable. Yeah. And also, I do my best to kind of message people before I bring any powerful character to an event. I need to know, first off, like, hey, are you okay with this kind of character showing up? Is it all right if I maybe talk with you about the event and maybe clear some ideas that I have that Amy might try or do? Because comparatively to normal people, liches are really powerful. Yeah. Undead are typically pretty powerful. I mean, like, if you look back at uh, Legion lore specifically, the Legion used undead and liches to just kill planets. Yeah. And Amy is that kind of old lich. So he he's really powerful. So whenever I have him do anything, especially for D20 events where there's life, Amy can't really be killed by a lot. So what I have instead is, instead of treating it like a health bar, I would have it treated as, like, his attention span for an event or
0: something. <laughs> right, right.
1: When he reaches zero, which would normally be, like, a knockout or something, Amy's like, this is actually really beneath me and is kind of annoying. So I'm just going to let you guys deal with it. I came and helped and the capacity that I am going to help you with, and now I'm going to step back because I'm not solving your problems for you.
0: And that serves as a really great justification for, you know, just bringing Amy to events, maybe keeping him away from events, um, is that, you know, you've described Amundal as kind of a, a raid boss in comparison to, you know, maybe not necessarily like, oh, his health pool, maybe that, but also, you know, just his sheer spell power. Um, yes.
1: Yeah. Amy is pretty good with spells.
0: Yeah. I would, I mean, a master sorcerer if there ever was one. And... It's really great because when he is at events, he makes a very meaningful, you know, acute impact on the way things are playing out. And then he'll pull back. Or if he hasn't showed up to an event, you always are certain to justify why he wasn't there. Whether through, like, a Discord roleplay post or, you know, maybe a a post-event interaction. There's always a reason for everything. And I think that's so quintessential to how you play your character, is that you always have a reason for everything.
1: It's really um kind of important i don't really want to toot my own horn i just think that it's um if you're playing a powerful character in any capacity you need to make sure that you have the kind of consent of everyone around you that's kind of what role playing really is for a lot it's it's kind of the consent to work on a story together so when it's amy involved with anything i have to be really careful. Um, Not just because his character's powerful, but also because I have to keep in mind what his character does. And he doesn't hate the living, but he doesn't have a lot of tolerance for a lot of their um interpersonal relationship styles. He doesn't quite understand them. Uh, that was stuff that was kind of just lost a time on him. Or uh, a lot of, like, red tape politics he just doesn't have the patience for.
0: Yeah, and it's also I would describe Amundal in a sense as the antithesis of of life. Just his presence alone is a hazard to living beings. I see what um, you're we... building up to right now. <laughs> I know we we have the running joke of of Amy's presence is. I mean, well, you, you explain it because you were the one who brought it up.
1: So liches have an aura of frost, which if you look at their monster manual. For, like, the World of Warcraft tabletop game, the Aura of Frost is, like, 1d12 damage per turn, <laughs> which is an insane amount of damage. Like, in 10 turns, he'd be killing dragons just by standing. That's, like, not even an active ability. It's just, like, a passive. So I I, I, we, I was joking about it with Kitsch. Uh, if you go back and look... Amy being at events has probably killed, like, half the island just by being there. (laughs) Um, So I've had to come up with creative solutions as to why he's not just accidentally killing people in the street and stuff like that.
0: Right. And I know you've used uh, the justification that Amundal appears as kind of like a mirage or like a vision, Mm -hmm. Um, and that works perfectly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes he's a mirage. Other times, he kind of, because it's magic at the end of the day... And it's frost magic, which is like the thing he's the best at next to necromancy. Uh, He just kind of reins it back just so it's like if you're standing around long enough, it'll give you frostbite, but it won't outright kill you. And that's probably about as much as he can reel it back for being what is, in essence, a floating freezer. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) it definitely makes you have to think even more about how close am I gonna be to everybody just kind of shout from the distance I support you
0: <laughs> and there have been um just recently I-, I say recently in quotations as far as like the Vane storyline you know Amundal in place of him appearing at things personally mm-hmm. I mean the armies at his disposal are vast so he'll send you know the legions of Terramah to go and help You know certain uh, conflicts that are going on um and that really happened recently with like the siege of Mm alglen which you know obviously you know the people listening aren't in our guild so in summary a bad guy druid sends a bunch of bad guy druid things to a farm town and we have to defend it Mm -hmm. um but aside from that event um there are innumerable instances where amy has (laughs) for for lack of a better word flexed (laughs) flexed (laughs) on the people of wintervane um and just talk about a few of those
1: so, and I, I, I would like to just make sure that I've stipulated this. Uh, these are instances where I check beforehand all, for all of them. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would never do any of this kind of stuff without, uh, you know, permission. If somebody's like, eh, maybe not, like, yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, so a few things that, like, with Al Glenn, uh Amy was like, these guys gave us a home on this island and a pretty sizable portion of land if there are any volunteers who want to go and help them i'm going to be sending a force to kind of help stop these wicker monsters from just slaughtering this village uh and a very sizable sum of terama ended up agreeing to go and they volunteered so there was this kind of really cool battle between Uh, these, like, almost wicker-style drust guys, and just this inexhaustible force, which, as I remember, actually was just a distraction.
0: Yes, granted a a big one, but uh, it
1: was, yeah. Uh, Which, it did work. It did work. I think that Terramaw, I don't know that I would call them armies as much because they're not really conscripted soldiers. It's a volunteer basis. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's see. I, I, I just really enjoyed that event. It was really well-written from everybody involved. Uh, everybody contributed in some fashion. There were farmers helping, putting out fires. There were uh, night elves coming in to take civilians out of harm's way. Uh, I thought there was a really kind of fun uh, twist on the undeader coming. Like, oh no, the undeader <laughs> coming. Oh, the undeader coming. Which has been fun. Like, oh,
0: the undead are coming. That's that's awesome. Do-do-do-do! <laughs> <laughs> it was great because that event really kind of happened kind of on Discord. We opened mm-hmm. up kind of like a forum of like, hey, if you want to toss in what your character is doing to help. And it was a lot of fun because we got to see what, you know, Amy was doing. Uh, I think I even tossed in like what Kitsch was doing yes. at one point. It was yeah, a, it was a was great helping. time.
1: Uh, everybody did really good with that.
0: Yeah. And I guess that is kind of a tease to the fact that we're actually, I've, I've said this a, a few times already, but we're, we're talking about bringing Isle of Wintervane back for another bout, mm-hmm. which I'm super excited for. I, I think that the story that we've been talking about will be very interesting.
1: I think so too. Um,
0: and I guess that also talks about, you know, the timeline that we're bringing Isle of Wintervane back. Amy has been very active in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people I would say most people aren't really privy to his dealings at the moment. Um, But you've mentioned that he's been very active in the Shadowlands. And I know that you've talked to me about it kind of in broad strokes, but now that I have you sat down and and you're held hostage, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd love for you to talk to me about kind of what Amundal is doing there.
1: Uh, so Amy is, or was at least one point in his ridiculously large history part of the House of Liches, uh, then he would occasionally sneak off to go do other things and go, you know, kill some planets or whatever it is that he just does <laughs> in his own right. time before he retired from literally doing much of anything. He takes a lot of backseat now to a lot of events uh, to try to flesh out other uh, residents of Terror Maw. But uh, currently in the Shadowlands, He has his own little plot and his own little storyline that we're currently going through. Uh, It was actually going to be a tabletop campaign. We were going to use the GURP system to kind of go through and do a World of Warcraft style tabletop game. And if people are still interested in that, then we'll continue with it. Uh, If not, then we'll make it events. But so what had happened was Amy's Only living, quote-unquote, daughter, his adoptive daughter, Amora, was killed. Um, And she was killed in such a way that she cannot be resurrected through the means of the Maw. And so they are currently investigating that, which has been kind of a really fun thing to kind of work in with some story threads. I think I'm in a pretty unique position where my character actually has a reason that they can go to the Shadowlands. Yeah. Outside of, like, some death knights and then just people who are going in. Uh, There's not, I think, too, too many characters who get that kind of opportunity. So I just want to grab it and run with the ball.
0: Because, you know, Maldraxxus obviously has the House of Liches. Yes. Um, Has Amundal tried to reconvene with them amongst all of the political controversy there?
1: Uh, So he was never so big and popular. He never met the Primus or anything. He just kind of did his own thing. He just chilled out of Maldraxxus for quite a large amount of time. And now that he's kind of got a family to look after, he doesn't really care about too many politics. It kind of sucks that, you know, what's happening is happening. But also the afterlife can't die. So he doesn't really have too much at stake there. Like, whatever room that he had in the House of Liches is probably somebody else's room now.
0: Right, He's he's been evicted.
1: Yeah, he's been evicted from the House of Liches, I'm sure.
0: And has he um been kind of exclusively... Because you mentioned he's investigating. Has he dipped any into the Maw, or is he staying in Maldraxxus? Has he kind of gone to the
1: other covenants? Uh, so for that... Uh, we're going to have to wait until we get there with all of ah. the fresh story content ideas that I've got with it. Uh, he has been to Bastion. That's kind of one of his big little twists for how uh, why the undead of Maw are different than a lot of the other Scourge. He obtained a memory lantern from Bastion. <gasps>
0: oh. And with that memory
1: lantern he's been able to grant true sleep to his undead and allow them to kind of fix or fragment or kind of mend memories in such a way that kind of gives them more humanity than the typical scourge soldier. And I think that's one of the reasons why the undead of Terramar get so much more personality. They're able to, you know, have their fun. Uh still undead, of course. So their fun, you know, is a little bit different. They might be kicking heads around instead of soccer balls. <laughs> or the Death Knights are just torturing people and, you know, having a grand time with it. Uh, but he he's kind of dipped his uh non-toes into a few different covenant places in a kind of backhanded, sneaky ways, I would say. Um Amy's typically a very honest character. He'll just approach you, typically, if there's something he wants. But that doesn't always work. Um, But I would say more of his connections kind of happen, not in the Big Four Covenant areas, but in a lot of the hidden other realms of undeath we don't typically get to see.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like we will have to play out said campaign, and then I will inevitably have to get you back on the show to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. I like the idea that Shadowlands put forth, even though I don't think it's really put forth the content for this idea yet, but visiting the realms of undeath is so cool. The fact that we only get to see four of possibly millions, a little bit less cool, but the fact that there are just millions and millions of realms of undeath, that is an opportunity that should just be dived into.
0: Right, and with the dawn of Shadowlands, I don't, I can't really put a pin on, you know, exactly what the reason is, but I feel like there's been quite the upsurge in people who are rolling with undead original characters. Oh, Um, love to see it! It's amazing, it really is. And you know, tying even back to Wrath of the Lich King with the dawn of Death Knights, you know, the ability to have an undead character on either faction, it really is quite an uh, an accessible story to play. Oh, Um, absolutely. And you know, it's it's also A really, I wouldn't say like niche style of RP, but it really does have you know quite a lot of uh room for just really acute creativity Mm -hmm. and you know building your little corner of undead lore. So I guess if you had a moment and a phrase or something that you could say to people who are considering rolling undead and maybe they have a few drawbacks for any amount of reasons, what would you say to them?
1: Oh, uh. I would say absolutely take whatever opportunity you want to take it in. There are so many wonderful little stories you can tell or grand stories. You could start with a character who's just a shambler, like a normal atypical ghoul or typical ghoul, or all the way up to like a a death knight or a lich. An abomination was one that I saw once who was an amazing character. He was a cult in using um, using some body armor to make himself look like an abomination that was amazing. But I think also another great thing is your character being undead doesn't have to define who they are. You can be whoever you want to be, and undeath can allow that freedom if you want it to. You can have... Uh, <laughs> Actually, I've got my document here of the Undead of Maw, yeah. <laughs> who we just have a few of, because I like to keep track of my babies. Right. Uh, we have characters like the Bright Rangers, who are my, uh, they're my favorite pet project. So uh, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the Bright Rangers, if that's
0: okay. Please, please do, that.
1: of course. So my Bright Rangers are three individual characters. They were in life uh, men, but they weren't really comfortable with that identity that they had. And then after they had died and were re risen, they found that they could really kind of be who they want to be, and they have embraced femininity, and they've become and, and, and basically all intents and purposes they're drag queens. Yeah, <laughs> um, and they just kind of they bond together and they are loving exploring these new identities together they love flamboyant colors and they do it to openly mock Sylvanus's dark rangers uh because they see them as kind of drab and ungagworthy
0: <laughs> right
1: uh so you have you have Fay Buelis uh who's a night elf very physically fit she's super playful loves to meet people doesn't really care about the living or dead barrier uh she's more of kind of like your comedy queen. Yeah. Uh Shantae, you stay, is kind of our blood elf <laughs> queen. Uh she loves ribbing on the others, but she can't take it in return. So when they're when they're doing reading, she, she can't take the reads. She can't take the reads, yeah. <laughs> but but she does she's a, she loves people still. Uh she constantly bickers with Faye, actually. Uh, Miss Sanguine is kind of our uh, she's kind of like she's a little bit more plump we'll say um she's very very plush but she's very lovely she's very shy too which contrasts with her man eater nature uh but that's you know that's th- those are stories for a different podcast really right right <laughs> but i i love them she's very shy in a group but if you ever catch her alone she is a flirt machine Oh, I love it. Um, and then we have other characters, like... We mentioned Miss Ma earlier. Yes, yes. Who's kind of this really fun, reoccurring character. I At least I think so.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Uh, she is just a ghoul. She wears a nice red dress, and she has little red bows and what's left of her hair. Um, she isn't really even aware that she's undead. She's just really happy that she's got time to bake and make cakes and she loves making bread she did it with Amora for a large period of time uh she's just always happy whenever she shows up she only ever says one word which is tweets (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which has been a fun little reoccurring gag love her Uh, we actually had a new resident come in just recently uh, who you might remember, oh. Cadence Everfall. Y- yeah, yeah, I do. Yes, yes, Cadence Everfall, who is a little boy who drowned. I say drowned. Drowned's putting it like, he was murdered. He was drowned <laughs> by his father.
0: Right, right.
1: Was not an accident. We're looking at you, Mal. Mal. Um, And this was up in Northrend back when Amy was up in Northrend. And so uh, Amy just peruses Potter fields sometimes and discovered a, the skeletal remains of, like, a five-year-old. And Amy was like, that's some bullshit. I'm going to give this kid the life that they never got. So Amy resurrected Cadence Everfall. Um, and as of right now, Cadence does have no memories of his death. Uh, but instead, Amy's treating it as a new start, and to he's basically babying this child. Yeah, and tre- giving him the kind of uh, life that he thinks that Caden should should have had. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, I I really like that. Just as that's probably my favorite part of role playing with Amy. It's not really his power or his influence or you know the armies or owning large land or anything it's Amy being a dad. Because at the end of the day, that's always what I thought Amy should have been. Um, he just, he loves the undead. It doesn't matter if they're biting or scratching or, you know, trying to push him away. He'll, he'll, he'll give them hugs. He, he absolutely loves every single one of the undead and he sees them as his kids. Especially the Death Knights who hate it. Um One of which, his very first kid, actually. And I think you know who this is.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Alfindale. Uh, just a, a lost death knight trying to make their way in the world. And uh, Amy's like, hey, I've been doing this for quite a long time. And I hate seeing undead who are just struggling. So he kind of took them under his wing, so to speak um and kind of got her going where they need to go um and they actually formed a really great relationship it's very it's very like father child Um, uh, they've had some really fun events i think as well <laughs> one in particular almost ended winter Vane. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> uh we could talk about that a little bit oh my if you gosh
0: want. when i tell you that Tarconis Whiteleaf, the Lord of Wintervane, is uh, losing years of his life <laughs> because of his political relationship, I should say old political relationship with Amy. I- I'm not mm-hmm. lying I mean that was a great a great point in that story. And please, please do talk about it.
1: Oh <laughs> sure. Uh, so Alphandale is I-, I shouldn't say Amy's favorite. Amy doesn't really have favorites, but she is his first child. So he cares and is very protective over her. Yeah. Uh, she's still uh, absolutely her own independent character, of course, um, and able to go and do whatever she wants. She's not like held back or reigned in by Amy in any particular way. Uh, he just cares about her. And during an event, she was up on a, a castle wall, I believe, that crumbled beneath her uh, and ended with her almost dying. Uh, the the second death, which is for Death Knights, a very true death, and it's kind of very difficult to take that back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she almost died there, and Amy went on a war path. Uh, so that meant taking the entirety of the Dread Necropolis and marching it. And he marched it right into the town and demanded retribution. In a very, um, Inordinate amount of force, I think we should say, <laughs> like bringing out the frost wyverns helmed by Calistraza, uh, who is his right hand, who's an amazing character in her own right, but um, they just slam down an obelisk of Serenite in the middle of the town and destroy it, um, and then are like, all right. Now, who is responsible for uh, my daughter almost dying? And so the event actually kind of spun around where I thought it was going to go. And that Emlyn, who is uh, the quote unquote hero of Wintervein. She's kind of the legendary folk hero. Yeah. uh, Actually stepped in and was like, it was my fault. And I'm willing to pay whatever the price is for this uh because i know how much you loved her and i absolutely 100% take the blame for this this was my fault that she almost died because i was the guard captain in charge of her yeah uh and amy was so impressed and touched by the amount of love and um just sorrow in seeing a living person so distraught over the damage to someone who wasn't dead that instead of just continuing his rampage and just ransacking he was like you know what no we're going to make this right so he took her hand Emlyn's hand as like this symbol of kind of what the living and undead can achieve together Mm -hmm. um and it became kind of this union force thing it's actually the banner of Terramon, is uh, Emlyn's Calderai hand.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it was such a... In hindsight, I mean what a symbol. It, it really goes to show, you know, how the undead see things, you know, vastly different from the living as far as, you know, what makes a union. And I think in that moment, both sides were really able to come together because, you know, maybe a, a living bystander was like, oh my God, that lich just took her hand. That's so messed up. But <laughs> yeah. for the undead, it's like, oh no, 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 no. This is, this is a symbol. This is a good thing. This is and good. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. This is progress.
1: Yes. Um, I think the living were still trying to deal with the fact there was a massive army in the middle of their village. I definitely could see quite a few people being really tense because I was tense. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, right. Because what? Amy doesn't get mad very regularly, but when he does, it's kind of like setting off a nuke. Right. Um, I think the only other time we ever saw Amy angry was when Xnorak like called him out, do you remember this? vaguely it's been a while. yeah, it's been like <laughs> like five years right or right crazy. <laughs> right right so Xennoak, for those who don't know, was the kind of antagonistic Lich force on the Isle of Wintervane that Amy was kind of summoned or released from his crypt to um combat or help combat. Uh, and Zenorak decided to fuck around and find out. (laughs) And he did. And he did. And I think currently for... So Amy basically just went in full tilt and just, like, took his phylactery and shoved it through his head uh, and made it into a door. He made uh, Zenorak's head a doorknob uh, for Terramaw. And he was that way for, like, a while, a significant a while, of time. A uh, while, like two years, he was just a doorknob. Right. And then Amy turned him into like the centerpiece of his belt. Yeah. So just kind of like, because Amy is very much, you know, I think he's very calm. I think that um, I focus a lot when I'm talking about him now, I've kind of spoken about his power and that he's very, more, normally he's a pretty laid back just patient personality yeah i would agree but when he's when he's pissed off there's really not much else like it and he'll he'll go out of his way to take all of that cruelty he normally isn't capable of having and compress it into one tiny action Mm -hmm. as for just the power play because amy is still a lich and he does kind of do those sometimes Like, uh, he would visit Tarconis at, like, three o'clock in the morning, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which was the ultimate power play to talk about politics, and he's just like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't sleep, I'm actually active (laughs) all the time, like a good leader.
0: Right, it became a a pretty common occurrence that Tarconis just didn't go to bed until 4am, just in case (laughs) Amy was gonna drop by.
1: Yeah. He would never do it past four. Four was too much. He had other things to (laughs) do. That was a little too cruel, maybe. (laughs) Too cruel. Yeah, absolutely. He couldn't do it. Oh, man. And I mean, it's
0: uh, just those things. It's made Amy such a fun character to roleplay with. Uh, And as you said, you know, Amy is a character not so much defined by his power, but through all of the things that he cherishes, which, you know, of course, are his relationships and the mortals that he's, you know, become relatively close to, uh kind of mixed in with his own
1: interpersonal goals. And really that's kind of how I think powerful players should define themselves. Because no amount of power is worth anything if you're not using it for a good reason. And a powerful character is only defined by what they're using their power for. For Amy, the reason that he will ever use his any kind of power it's to protect his kids Mm -hmm. he's not going through and styling on people as this massive 30 foot tall mountain of just ice and murder more often than not i think with a lot of his events he's just been going there to supervise or make sure that you know things are okay yeah undead chaperone he yeah he chaperones he's he's a protective dad but not i don't think overprotective given yeah, the i would i would agree
0: simply I, I, that really is it amy has so many great motivations that tie into his his you know the the people that he cares about and you know uh, as you said he he loves the undead very deeply and i think that's what i love so much about amundal is that um he is a unique character to role-play with because of his power, but he's a fascinating character to role-play with because of who he is as a father, as a leader, as, you know, I would even uh, go as far to say kind of a... uh, unconventional therapist <laughs> i mean he's done he's, 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 he's done quite he's a bit he's had
1: a few moments like that hasn't he yeah
0: right he'll he'll take people on spiritual journeys and they'll come out the other end and be like wow <laughs> oh, thank yeah, you the ghost <laughs> tray, <laughs> right yeah. right and uh i i guess i just have to thank you for being a part of you know the stories that we've written uh because truly they would not have as much weight without your presence so thank you
1: oh thank you for having me for them it's it's really. No matter what kind of stuff Amy does, it's got to be tied to other greater role players and writers and creators. And I think that that's really what we have in our communities.
0: And in the same stride, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and and talking with me about Amundal. I I really hope people find him to be just as fascinating as, you know, I do. I, I love Amy. I love to see what he's doing. And I simply can't wait for this campaign that you've teased moving kind of into the end here i do want to let people know that uh, amy streams uh, amy is a streamer uh, a very capable and entertaining streamer might i add um so in today's episode description i'm going to leave uh amundal's twitch link uh, he he does a, a great show he uses voice mod to kind of sound like the lich lord himself i love all of his streams. whenever i'm able to make it i'm sure you guys will too thank you for having me on your
1: stream. <laughs> it's been the most pleasurable experience i've had That's my third slime bath today. Oh
0: my gosh. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Cheers to you, Bonefather Avondale, for coming on live from Oldowar today. Uh, Moving past our interview today, we're going to go into an event review of the Dalaran Opera House, which I attended last weekend, and of course, close out with our RP spot of the week and kind of your month at a glance. So, Amy, thank you once again for coming on the show with us. Is there anything else that you'd like to say?
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's. It's so wonderful to just get this opportunity to sit down and uh, chat.
0: Of course. Uh,
1: And I hope that um, maybe one day in the future, I'll be able to come back and talk your ears off about stuff even more.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to hold you to it, Amy. I I simply will. (laughs) (laughs) Well, once again, thank you. We're going to move into our post stuff right now. Uh, And this has been a great interview. So, uh, Amy, we will see you next time that you are with us on Live from Ulduar, inevitably. (laughs)
1: thank you so much alright I'll see you guys then
0: Transmission concluded if you would like to keep up with
1: Amundal
0: on social media his Twitter and Twitch will be linked in the episode description once again an enormous thank you to Amundal for coming on the show today and talking with me about Bone Father Amy Uh, it's always nice to have a friend that you've had for so long uh in a a show, and talking with them just about their character just feels like two old friends chatting, and I I hope you guys enjoyed it, and as I've said in the episodes prior, if you would like to be a guest star on Live from War, it's quite simple, just join our Discord, linked in the episode description, and take a look at our guest star chat room, Uh, and drop a few ideas in there, we can get you on the waiting list, uh, figure out kind of what your recording situation is, and uh, we'll figure it out, we'll get you on the show in no time. And now moving into the last leg of the show today, uh, we're going to be talking about an event that I attended uh, last weekend, which was the Dalaran Opera House, organized by Sister Finch in collaboration with a large group of the Wormrest Accord community, both on the Alliance and the Horde side. It was really interesting. It was my first Wormrest Accord event, or at least the first, uh, kind of big Wormrest Accord event that I had the pleasure of attending. Uh, I of course attended on Kitsch because, um, I cannoned that he was given complimentary tickets to the Dalaran Opera House because, you know, the Crash Cog Cup gets a lot of sponsors and people give gifts and stuff. So I was like, oh, maybe someone gave him tickets. And Kitsch was like, oh, cultural experience. Let's go have a new cultural experience. And he uh, dropped by in Dalaran after he chatted with the Kieran Tor about their collaboration for the Crash Cog Grand Prix. And he just enjoyed the evening with some theater and some singing and some friends. I'll admit it was a little hard for Kitsch Uh, strictly from an in-character perspective, to get into the flow of the event. Um, Not only are his social graces just absolutely abysmal, but he also doesn't have a lot of reach as far as uh, people he knows. Uh, If you throw him into a big crowd, more often than not, he doesn't know a single person inside of it. Uh, Especially on the Warm Rest Accord side, Kitch is not, you know, very active in that community yet, I would like to change that, but you know, for the initial leg of the event when he was kind of getting himself introduced to the climate, he was very much uh, sitting on, you know, the balcony and just kind of watching, uh, kind of as an observationalist does but from an out of character perspective i quite enjoyed uh, all of the things that were being done it really you know as someone <laughs> as someone who did theater in high school and who has attended you know touring broadway productions it really did feel uh, quite similar to what you would see in the real world they had a coat check person they had ushers uh, they had a speech before the show talking about you know the reconstruction of the dollar on opera house and i was really interested because i got to learn about kind of how the undead And the Forsaken are being aided by all of these different programs to rehabilitate, uh, not necessarily rehabilitate, more like uh, give patronage to uh, the undead of the Undercity, kind of in the absence of Sylvanas. They're kind of putting themselves back together again uh, no pun intended, um, as gruesome as that is, and it was a really flattering speech, they, you know, pointed out how, uh, you know, all of these individuals have come together, they're funding the Forsaken with this performance, and it kind of gave Kitsch a sense of purpose there, I should say, uh, he felt like he was attending for a reason at that point, so he was convinced to stay, he was convinced that, uh, you know, despite the social, you know, awkward situation that he was in, that he should stay. Once the doors opened, uh, Kitch actually found himself a friend. He um, was hanging around with Miss Darkspark. Shout out to Miss Darkspark. Uh, they watched the entire opera together. They had a lot of great, deep conversations about, you know, the show and its meanings and its metaphors. And I think that it was so successful uh, because of the medium that uh, Sister Finch, out of characterly, uh, organized the, the event. Uh, what they did was they set up kind of a, uh, a Flash Discord server, and everyone who attended the event got sent the invite, everyone joined the Discord, and then after a few minor out-of-character hiccups, they uh, streamed the entirety of the live-action Phantom of the Opera, the most recent one with Gerard Butler. Uh, they they uh, streamed the entire sh- uh, movie, which is, frankly, <laughs> one of my favorite movies, and it was great. Not only is the music just inspiring, But it was so much fun to see how other characters reacted to a piece of art that I am, I would say, debilitatingly familiar with, and it was fun to have Kitsch experience it for the first time. It was great because when the organ overture started playing, Kitsch was just overtaken with this feeling he had never, you know, simulated before, which was kind of a sense of musical euphoria, and it was really something quite profound for him, and it was great because, you know, since I've seen the movie so many times, I grew up with it quite fondly, I could keep the movie tapped out, but keep the audio playing, and because, you know, I know what's happening based off what the people are saying, based off what the songs are, I could stay perfectly in the moment with Kitsch, and have him just react to things in real time, uh, and, you know, I, I was kind of cheating, you know, I was able to prepare emotes ahead of time because I knew what was coming, um, but that really was so much fun because i felt like uh more than other events that i've taken kitsch to it was really like snap reactions and that was how it was with everyone all of these characters were reacting in so vastly different ways to a piece of art that is so not controversial but so widely debated as far as its you know metaphorical meaning uh you know its significance in a modern society and i loved it. I mean I mean I cannot stress enough how great this event was. And even after the opera had ended and people were filing out, Kitsch, you know, stayed with Miss Darkspark and was talking with uh, you know, Intamin and his friend, and they were just chatting about the show, about the metaphors, uh, and, and Kitsch and Intamin were sharing a little bit of insight about how they thought the show was about body dysmorphia, and you know, how Darkspark thought the show was about void corruption. And it was fascinating because I was like, wow, I never realized how many World of Warcraft uh, metaphors are just deeply entrenched into Phantom of the Opera. Granted, that's not something I think anyone thinks about on a daily basis. So, you know, it was a, it was a very rare niche that uh, Sister Finch was able to tap into. And I sincerely hope that it was not a singular instance of catching lightning in a bottle. I really want to see the Dalaran Opera House continue uh, for another premiere I think that would be exceptional, and I would surely take kitsch another time, perhaps with a few friends, and I'm certain that it would be just as engrossing on a, a deeply spiritual level as it was at their first opening night. This event, of course, gets five kitsches out of five, uh, maximum score, as as of course, you know, every event gets a five kitsch out of five. But seriously, I mean if you miss this event, I'm I'm sorry. It it was amazing, and I I wish I could uh, you know, accurately convey in just words alone how much fun it was um i will link the host of this event in the episode description so you can kind of you know scroll back on their timeline see some stuff that they posted truly there was a fantastic turnout so it really did feel like a massive operatic premiere and uh props to the Wormrest rest accord community as i've seen it said on twitter they do not take break days <laughs> they're always grinding um And I am so excited to attend more Warm Rest Accord events in the future. So that is my review of the Dalaran Opera House's premiere opening night of The Phantom of the Opera. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope that when next uh, Sister Finch hosts one of these events, uh, Lord willing, that you guys are able to attend. This week's roleplay spot comes to you from Ashran, from the Warlords of Draenor expansion. Ashran is what I would call the roleplay community's worst-kept secret. If you don't know, Ashran used to be kind of a a zone-locked PvP zone very similar to Tol Barad, very similar to Winter's Grasp, in the sense that if you entered the zone, you would be marked PvP, and if you were inside the zone outside of battle time, they would kick you out. However, for some inexplicable reason, which I, you know, fingers crossed, I would like to believe that Blizzard did this intentionally, Uh, Ashran was entirely decommissioned as a global PvP zone. So basically, you no longer get marked when you fly into Ashran. You no longer get kicked off of your mount and teleported back to either Storm Shield or Warsphere if it's, you know, outside of battle time. It's simply just a, a huge, empty zone. And it has zero NPCs. And I would argue that this scale of zone with this lack of NPCs, total lack of NPCs, is extremely unique, and it has such a grand opportunity for large-scale roleplay. There are a lot of great, uh, unique spots for, you know, campaigns and for exploratory missions, little scavenging things. They've got different biomes, surprisingly, inside of this small little island area. They have kind of a Uh, Decrepit, scary, spidery, you know, spiderweb place that could be used for, you know, spooky events They have kind of a lava, little lava cave, lava pool area that could be used for different types of genres Uh, And then of course they have kind of the big ogre kingdom centerpiece, which has uh, two arenas One of which I use regularly to host uh, Crash Cog Cup events at Um, and then another one which kind of looks more like a gladiator arena, and again, completely empty, which is a fantastic opportunity if you're looking to start an event of that nature, Uh, and then I think they've also got uh, an absolute swath of empty towers, little tents and camps, and little buildings that are just completely emptied out. At the northeast end of the island, there is a completely empty Arakoa village, So if you recall the Arakoa from Warlords of Draenor, or at least the broken Arakoa, they kind of lived in these purple-slash-dark-violet-shabby kind of tent areas to stay hidden from the high Arakoa. Um, And it's that kind of a village, that kind of a vibe. It's very witchy, very spooky, it's got a very specific vibe to it. But if you are looking for kind of a village roleplay, maybe a little, you know, hideout roleplay, fantastic spot for that as well. Not that it's in any way a centerpiece, but if you go to the far east of the island, past the mountain range, uh, there's just a completely empty stretch of beach. Uh, And I'm surprised that, you know, more people don't use this for beach-esque events. Uh, I know that the Stranglethorn Beach Bash, of course, has to happen in Stranglethorn, but if you're looking to host a beach event, Ashran is a fantastic spot. And it's a very centralized spot, because there are portals to Ashran, or at least to Stormshield and Warspear, respectively, from uh, Stormwind and from Orgrimmar. And I'm not sure what the minimum level to get there is. I want to say it's 15, because that's when you can shift into Chromie time and level in Warlords of Draenor, if you choose. So you can get there really, really easily. And it is a rested zone, which is kind of an added convenience, so you can log out immediately, log back in immediately. And if, you know, you don't want to use it for RP, you can just use it as a great place to you know, queue for dungeons, I don't know, rest your character. So there you have it, the conveniences of decommissioned Ashran are truly endless, and of course all of the information about Ashran that I can find will be posted in the Live from Old War Discord server, so if you'd like to see my take on it, uh, maybe get some feedback about it, I will be there for you, so join our Discord and, and we'll chat about it. And finally, to close out our episode, we have your month at a glance. And in this case, I've decided that a glance is going to mean three events on a calendar, uh, either mostly for neutral events, that caught my attention. So for today, the three events that have caught my eye are Marnie's Super Fantastic Ocean Extravaganza, the Sanguine Night Market, and not to self-plug, but the Crash Cog Cup Animal Derby. So starting with Marnie's super fantastic ocean extravaganza, uh, that's going to be Saturday, uh, June 19th, from 8 to 10 p.m. I believe that is Moonguard time. And this is going to be happening in the ruins of Vashjir in the Shimmering Expanse, uh, once again, within the zone of Vashjir. Uh, And they described it as an opportunity to meet friends in the safety of a magical biome under the sea, maintained by yours truly, which of course is Marnie of the super fantastic ocean extravaganza. Uh, looking a little bit into the event, they are going to have some ocean-themed booths with vendors. they're going to have a talent show hosted by the Runaway Theater Troupe, a seahorse race, which is apparently new this year, with some prizes, and they will close out their extravaganza with the fireworks show also by the Runaway Theater Troupe. Uh, If I can make it to this one, I am surely going to try. It sounds like a lot of fun. I fondly remember this event being advertised last year, and I don't think I attended it, and I feel kind of like a fool now because it sounds something that would be exactly up my alley. So, Marnie, if you're listening, I'm going to try my best to make it to your extravaganza, and we're going to have a great time. Moving on, we have the Sanguine Night Market, which is a Shadowlands market event that is happening on Friday, June 18th, from 5.30pm Wormrest Accord to kind of whenever it tapers off. For Moonguard people, it's going to start at 7.30pm, and their tagline is that the land of the dead brings opportunity, which is very fun, Uh, and it's kind of described as an event where people can sell maybe shadier items without getting side-eyed by the authorities. And that is going to be happening at the Night Market in Revendreth. And this event is organized by Loira. I believe that is in reference to Loira Winford. Uh, Hopefully I'm not wrong on that, but you can contact them with any of your questions. And I'm super excited about this one. I think it's awesome that people are hosting events in a current expansion zone. It feels very rare that people do that. So seeing people take a hold of Revendreth and host an event in Revendreth, that's going to be super awesome. So I hope to see you guys there. And finally, we have the Crash Cog Cup Animal Derby. So, for anyone who has been keeping up with the Crash Cog Cup, it is of course a vehicle racing event. However, to keep anticipation high between seasons, we only have four vehicle races in a season in the main season, and then there's like some, you know, drag races in the post-season. But also, we're doing some experimental events in the post-season, and one of those is an animal derby. So the way that I described it is it's kind of like a diet vehicle race. We're not going to have, you know, sabotage and power-up items. uh, And the hazards aren't going to be nearly as severe because no animal cruelty. (laughs) So that is going to be happening on June 26th at 7.30 p.m. Moonguard time, or for our folks on Warm Rest Accord, that is happening at 5.30 p.m. And that is going to be happening uh in Ashran, the zone aforementioned, at one of the arenas, the Fungal Circuit, as I have deemed it. And that is going to be a proxy for Zangramarsh in Outland, because, you know, obviously we can't get back to Draenor in the current timeline. So I hope to see you guys there. We've got a great lineup of people, great lineup of cool animals racing, and it's going to be a really fun, fun time. And that's it, folks. That is your month at a glance. Uh, Next episode, I'll pick three more events, and we'll do it all over again. I hope that you've enjoyed episode three of Live from War. I'm kind of getting this out last minute. I am literally recording this Monday evening before, you know, the Tuesday that this episode is supposed to be out. So, uh, you know, Titans willing, I I get this edited and put out in time. Hopefully you're listening to this on that Tuesday. As always, this has been your Titanforged and mechanized host, Kitsch Goldwatt. Thank you for joining me on today's endeavors, and we'll see you next time here in the depths of Old War.